0: Well, good morning, High Point. Good morning. So good to be with you today. Thank you for those joining us in person. And I see that hand. I see those faces over there. Thank you. And uh, thank you for joining us online. We're so glad to have you today. Today, we're going to continue in our series from the book of Malachi, where we have been looking at uh, God's standard standards excuse me, of excellence. More specifically, we're talking about our need to reestablish those standards of excellence within our personal lives. So in preparation, if you wanna go ahead and turn your Bibles to Malachi chapter three, we'll get back to that in just a bit. While you're doing that, let me just say, there is no better time to reach towards a higher standard than right now. At the beginning of a new year, it is an optimal time for change, of areas to improve in your life. But always remember, in order for that improvement, To occur, we must diligently and continually seek the Lord and seek his help. In week number one, we talked about God's standard of excellence in our spiritual commitment by bringing God our best and not giving him our leftovers. Last week, we talked about God's standard of relational excellence and how we need to make good on our commitments, our covenants, our promises, And this week, we are going to talk about God's moral standard of uh, God's standard of excellence when it comes to our moral life, our morality. As we've seen throughout this series, there was a lot going on in Israel during Malachi's day. It wasn't good. God's standard of excellence was being greatly diminished among his people. So God uses this prophet named Malachi to help bring the people back to a place where they were honoring him in their daily lives and to remind them to follow the spiritual standards that that he had established for them. And so to kind of help set the scene for this morning's message, let me paint a little picture for you. Imagine if I were to drive into this parking lot of this church one Sunday morning, and hundreds of you were staging a kind of a protest. You had signs and you had megaphones, and and written on your signs were things like, it's useless to follow Jesus, or Christ followers finish last, or God neglects his children, And imagine all of you were chanting, all to Jesus I surrendered, but he has abandoned me. Can you imagine how discouraging that would be for me as your pastor? To put it mildly, it would break my heart. It would be an outrageous sight for me to see and experience, and yet that's almost exactly what was happening in Malachi's day. A group of people who claimed to be God-fearing people They were saying some pretty ridiculous things. In fact, let me just read it right out of Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. I'll be reading from the New International Version. You've spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. In essence, the people are saying it doesn't pay to honor God by living a pure, moral, and excellent life. We see people who are living on the wild side and they all appear to be prospering. While we're trying to honor God and what do we get? We get the short end of the stick is what they're inferring. Imagine Malachi, this prophet who was sent by God to help reestablish God's standard of excellence, and imagine what he is feeling at this point. He's been sent to raise the standard spiritually, relationally, morally, financially, and this is the underlying attitude of the people who he is encountering. And of course, I'll read his response to the crowd in a moment, but before I do, can we all just be honest this morning by admitting that from time to time, similar thoughts have crossed our minds? I heard somebody honest down there and said yes. (laughs) Whenever things aren't going our way, whenever we suffer a financial setback, or whenever we're experiencing a serious health issue, whenever our children seem to be wayward or, or when there's more month left than there is money, when we see people living on the wrong side of life and we say they seem to be getting away with it and doing just fine, thank you very much, while I'm here meticulously trying to honor God and yet I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time. How can this be? It is true that these kinds of thoughts cross our mind from time to time. I want to read a scripture to you that has been a very important scripture for me personally. There have been times in my life when I not only needed to read it, but I needed to be reminded of why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I am serving the Lord. It's found in the first book and the first, book, uh, first verse of, of Psalm. I'm going to read you verses one through six. And actually, I used this scripture just a couple weeks ago in a message that I gave you, but it is such a powerfully true statement that it needs to be read again. And it reads this way. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is a powerful scripture that we should all base our life upon as well as be encouraged by. I mean, to, leave, to lead a morally excellent life in the power of of the Holy Spirit to make wise moral choices, simply put, that is God's way of doing things. And the truth is, according to this scripture, life for people who make other choices is going to be difficult. But there's this natural tendency for us to look at other people and come away with a different perspective. All you got to do is look at their posts and their photos on social media about their exotic vacations and their expensive cars. And you wonder what gives. And I'm being very honest with you when I say that there have been times in my life when I have had thoughts like this. If following God fully promises favor and blessing in a person's life, then why are so many uncaring, selfish people flourishing? Or at least seem to be. Why are so many immoral people succeeding or appear to be succeeding? Look, I've seen business people who were just plain crooked. I've known them. They cooked their books. They lied about their income. They hid all kinds of assets. They overpromised and they underdeliver to their customers, and yet they, for some reason, were setting all kinds of profitability records every year. I knew of husbands who were cheating on their wives and wives who were cheating on their husbands. There was lying going on in that household with infidelity in a home that was lacking true love, and yet many of them had the most well-adjusted, honor roll kids. It didn't appear to me that they were paying any price for their misbehavior. I've seen people who have abused their bodies with drugs and alcohol, and every time they went in for a medical exam, they came out clean as a whistle. To complicate matters, I've seen modern day saints. I'm talking Eagle Scouts for the Lord. I'm talking about championship Christ followers, people who have meticulously followed the teachings of the Bible. And some of these people have experienced major trials major difficulties, financial hardship, marital difficulties, heartbreak with their children, medical problems, and early on in my faith, I secretly wondered, does following Jesus fully pay? Are there any real benefits associated with leading a clean and a moral life? Does it pay to devote my life to the Lord? Now, before you point your finger at me in judgment, I'd just like to say that nobody struggled with this more than the writer of Psalms. In Psalm 73, verse three through nine, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, he says this, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong, They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. He goes on like this for for several more verses. And finally, he just asks the questions that many of us have asked in verse 13 and 14. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. He says, people living life on the wild side are getting away with murder, and those of us who are trying to fear and honor God are experiencing trouble. We're experiencing difficulty. We're experiencing loss. It doesn't pay. But then comes the hinge point on where this entire passage sways, and it's in verse 17. This is what he says. Then I went into your sanctuary, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. He's saying, I couldn't sort things out without going to God, without worshiping him. And there, while he worshiped, God revealed two principles to him. And that's really what I wanna spend the rest of our time talking about this morning. I wanna show you how that living a morally and spiritually pure life really does pay off. And the first principle, that the psalmist learned is what I like to call the slippery rock principle. There's a place in Arizona called Slide Rock, where there's this big natural rock with water flowing, and as its name would suggest, you can get up there and slide down that rock, and and it's a lot of fun. But there are also other rocks, some above the surface, some below the surface of the water, and they're covered with that slimy, slippery moss. And despite all the signs that are posted that say don't walk on slippery rocks, inevitably, people try to see if they can beat the system. And they cross the stream of water by walking slowly and choosing different stepping stones. Very, very carefully, you can sit and watch them. And then partway across, they start to lose their balance a little bit, or they make a giant leap from one rock to another, another moss-covered rock, I might add, and their foot slides across the rock, and I think you know the rest of the story. The moral of the story is quite simple. Those who walk on moss-covered rocks long enough will eventually end up in the drink. Well, the psalmist is pulling his hair out here, trying to figure out how these people who don't care about God, people who are cutting moral corners, shading the truth, cheating the system, sleeping in the wrong beds, abusing their bodies. How can these people be faring so well? They seem to be prospering. They even seem to be setting records. So if there's a holy God running the ship, how are they getting away with it? Then God gives the the psalmist a partial explanation in verse 18. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. God tells the psalmist, don't envy people who are walking on slippery rocks or their lives because they are just one moss-covered rock away from disaster. It may appear to the casual observer that, that they're doing very well, but these people, they are in real moral trouble. They're just one step away from, from a huge splash, and furthermore, when they fall into the drink, it will literally shatter their lives as they know it. It's really only been about the last 25 years of my life that I've gained perspective on this slippery rock principle. because truly, I believe you have to live a certain numbers of, a, of, of life, a certain number of years in your life, to see for yourself that people who keep walking on these slippery rocks, these moss-covered rocks, morally speaking, they're eventually going to get wet, and many of them are going to drown. My dad, God rest his soul, used to have a saying. He used to say, son, if you're going to dance, you're going to pay the fiddler. What he meant by that was there are consequences for every decision that we make in life. There is a price to be paid for everything that we do. And I have come to learn that most of the people that I used to think were getting away with something, they've had to pay the piper. They've had to pay a price. Those who were leading immoral lives and I thought were too clever or were too smooth to ever get found out, they've now been exposed. They got burned by the slippery rock principle. I could tell you of a man in Phoenix. He was kind of a financial high roller. His career was marketing his products on television, those infomercials. And he made a boatload of money. But when you signed up to have one of his products sent to you, unknowingly to you, you gave them your credit card number and you received everything that this man and his company promoted, and it was just sent to you. You never called in and said, Send me the new washarama. <laughs> it just came one after another after another. People would be charged and ship these items that they never wanted. And people had to spend a great deal of time and sometimes even money for legal services to get them freed from this man's clutches. He was getting away with this and he was making a fortune while he was doing so. Until one day he stepped on a slippery rock and now he's not flying so high anymore. He's a broken man. But for a while, he was the talk of the town. They had articles about him in the newspaper and what, a, what an empire he was building. He was the envy of most of the average people, but the slippery rock principle brought him down. I could tell you story after story of people who lived in raw defiance of God and appeared to be getting away with something year after year. They were getting away with things sexually and relationally and ethically and morally and financially. But the day finally came when that final rock that they stepped on was just a little bit too slippery and they shattered their lives. So what is the lesson for you and me here today? Don't walk on that slippery kind of a walk. Stay away from those moss-covered stones, return to a God-centered moral and ethical life. Go back to the moral high ground and say, God, I'm not gonna cut any more corners in my life. No double talking, no exaggerating, no gray areas are gonna be involved in my deal-making anymore. I want every thought, every word, every deed, to be beyond reproach. I wanna get off of these slippery rocks and I wanna get back to the moral high ground of walking in your ways fully, wholly, and completely. No more slippery stone walking for me. When I was an associate pastor at Phoenix First Assembly, a well-known pastor showed up one Sunday at our church and he was sitting in the sanctuary. And I'm thinking to myself, why isn't he as his church preaching? He had been a rising star within the Assemblies of God denomination. Come to find out, he had experienced a moral failure. And he was sent to our church to go through a mandatory two-year restoration program, which is what happens in our denomination if a pastor has a moral failure. And during that time, he shared with me a heart-wrenching story of how he failed, how he wrecked his family, his church, It was a tragedy, and it all started when he began to see all of his success, and he became intoxicated by his status, all of the attention, and along with that came power. He was the guy that everybody pointed to. He was the hottest pastor on the circuit. He was building this huge church, and it was growing at an unprecedented rate. I mean, it was unbelievable, but he he began to walk on these slippery rocks. It started to be inappropriate with a woman at his church. It started with open door counseling sessions, which we do at the church. If you're a female and you come in to see me or any of the male pastors, our door is going to be wide open. Never gonna gonna ever have a closed door session with someone of the opposite sex. But they made the uh, decision to start closing the door. You know the story, he lost everything. And as we talked, you could could see the tears rolling down his face, and they were tears of regret of what he had drug his wife and his children and his church through, all of the public scrutiny, yes, all of the newspaper headlines, and there were even lawsuits attached to his fall. They were tears of, of great regret over losing the church that he had given his entire life to and the many relationships there would be no more. There were tears of regret that he thought he was above falling the way that he did and furthermore that that he, he would even think that he could get away with it. And I am so glad to have played a part in his restoration process to have earned his trust and for him to feel comfortable enough to pour out his life story to me because he was restored. He had his ministry credentials reinstated. He healed the destruction that he created within his own family and he went back to pastoring a church. Most importantly, he vividly understands how quickly someone can fall and lose it all. And if he were to stand before you today, and one day I may even have him come and share his story, or if the psalmist could stand before you today, or if old Malachi could stand before you today, these guys I believe would say in perfect unison, get off the slippery rocks at this moment. Don't take one more step on these moss covered rocks. You think you can get away with it. You think you can handle the next one. But people who walk on slippery rocks, as we know, end up in the drink. So turn around, turn around. And God would say to you this morning, let's go back to the moral high ground. I'll forgive you for whatever you've done, but you need to come back. Don't blow your life up. Don't blow it apart. You know, as I've been talking about all this, it's only natural that we start to think about areas in our life where we ourselves are walking on slippery rocks. And the truth is it's different for all of us. For some, it's it's financial. For some, it's relational. For others, it's sexual. For others, it's just pride. Some of us deal with being a workaholic and not devoting any time to our wife and our, and our children, while others deal with addictions and they deal with strongholds. And some of us watch a lot of filth on the internet and on cable television. It's just plain wrong. I don't know what it is for you, but I do know that when you are walking, you know when you are walking on slippery stones and so do I. We all do. And so I wanna ask you this morning, will you get off of those slippery rocks and go back to that firm moral ground? Will you take God's hand and will you, you walk toward moral excellence? And with his help and with his power, will you keep your life clean? Friends, don't wreck your life based upon this slippery rock phenomenon. The second principle that the psalmist learned is the final destination principle. Stay with me on this because the next thing I'm going to say is counterintuitive, but it's very important for you to grasp. As we've talked about the danger of walking on these these slippery stones and falling hard, you may go through a scandal of the embarrassment of a, of a bankruptcy or, or you may even spend some time in jail or in prison for something that you've done. But perhaps the greatest danger, and hear me out now, is actually getting away with your misbehavior your whole life and fooling your friends and fooling your family. You even have fooled your spouse And you're gonna carry a sin twisted secret all the way to your grave. But Malachi says it doesn't mean you're home free. Because even if you survive the slippery rocks, which you won't, there is still a final destination principle. It's a day of reckoning. It's a day where a holy and a just God will settle all moral accounts. And you won't fool God, and your secret will not sneak past him. Why? Because God has seen every secret activity. He knows every secret little thought and motive, and he will have the final say. The Bible says that there is coming a day when all of us will stand before a holy and a righteous God and we will give an account for our moral choices. And Malachi, in fact, ends his little book, in fact, the Old Testament ends with two fascinating metaphors of what that day will be like. It's in Malachi chapter four, verses one through three, reading from the New International Version. Surely the day is coming, and here's the first metaphor, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left of them. Here's metaphor number two. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. With that first metaphor, Malachi says, think of that final day this way it will burn like a furnace. For those who have led immoral lives and never put your faith or your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, never asked his forgiveness, were not born again and made alive in Christ Jesus, when you stand before God on that final day, for you it will be like what happens in a furnace. You just get reduced to a pile of scorched ash. It means you've been judged. Malachi says, those of you who have made moral mistakes and you have not trusted in Christ Jesus on that final day, God will have a final say. And he will say, listen, you wanted to distance yourself from me while you walked on this earth through your entire life. You didn't want me to be a part of your moral choices and here on this earth. Therefore, I am giving you permission to live apart from me forever. That's what you wanted in this world, and that's what you're gonna have in the next. You will be sent to a place where you will be eternally separated from my love and my grace and my power. Malachi says, I know that's a sobering word, but you just need to know what's gonna happen on that final day. A holy and a just God will have the final word. The New Testament says at one point that, People who realize that they've made such a bad choice and they wind up in that horrible eternity, they will be so filled with regret and, 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 and angst that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever thought about what that means or visualized the gnashing of teeth? The regret and the shame from making the wrong choices, when the right choice was standing right before you, crying out to you day after day, the regret at that moment will be so great. That combined with the knowledge of being eternally separated from God, people will be literally grinding and gnashing their teeth. But Malachi says, before you jump off the bridge, here's a second metaphor of the sun, And I want to explain this to you because this is beautiful. Imagine a little newborn calf. He just spent nine months in his, in his mother's womb. Then he's at birth and he's getting, he's getting nursed in this dark, dingy stall of a barn. Imagine that calf being let out of that dark, dingy barn and it walks out into the brilliant Middle Eastern sun, sunset for the first time. And even though it has those wobbly, spindly little legs, what's that newborn calf gonna do? Zandy, you just posted a video of one of yours giving birth. It's gonna start running around. And it's gonna start leaping in the air. And it's gonna start thinking to himself, I get to live in this? I get to be all warmed up and dried out? I can see this blue sky and I I can look at all the green grass and eat it if I want to. I get to be out in the air like this. This is amazing. This makes what happened back in the womb, this makes what happened back in that dingy old barn so worth it because I get to live out here now in the brilliant sunshine. Here's what Malachi's saying, and please get a hold of this. All of you people who have come to terms with your immorality You've been honest enough to admit that you're sinners and you have humbled yourself before God. You've invited Jesus Christ into your life. You were born again. And because of the Holy Spirit's work inside of you, you strive to walk the right way. You've strived to stay on the right path. You've tried to lead a morally excellent life. You've you've tried to stay on on the right path. But five minutes after you die, and you're in the blazing brilliance of the presence of Almighty God, you know what you're gonna say? I get to live here? This is mine? I get to live in this forever? And then you're gonna look back, and you're gonna say to yourself, every moral struggle that I ever went through. Every temptation that through the strength of God's spirit, I was able to refuse. Every slippery rock that I turned around and walked off of. Every time I said yes to God and no to the powers of temptation, I am so glad that I live my life that way. And you'll have absolutely no regrets. And your reoccurring theme in heaven will be, it was worth it all. It was worth humbling myself before Christ Jesus. It was worth walking with God every day. It was worth saying no to sin. It was worth saying no to compromise. No to dishonesty. No to all that stuff. It was worth it all. Oh, was it worth it all. I was once asked by a man at this church if there was anything that he could pray for me about. He said, you're always praying for us. You know our needs, you know our concerns, but what do you need me to pray about for you? And my response to him was that he would pray that God would give me wisdom and he would give me discernment. See, I need to know how to lead the people in this church and the people in this community within God's standards of excellence. I want to be an effective, spirit-led pastor who can lead you into a deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ than you're currently in now, so that you can experience him in greater ways. And while I was preparing for this message, my, my spirit was stirred. That discernment that I pray for always, every day when I pray, I pray for God to give me wisdom and discernment, it came through. Because the Holy Spirit was showing me that there are people in this place who are living life on some pretty slippery rocks. He said, you've got to fight for them, David. You've got to contend for their future. In other words, put on the boxing gloves. Start fighting for your people. And I want to do that right now. Some of you are walking on slippery rocks and you got to get off of them. Because here's the deal. This is your one and only life. This isn't a pregame show. This is the game. And depending on your age... You might be in the second quarter, the third quarter. You might be a minute 26 away from the final buzzer. And I wanna challenge all of you today to start fresh in this first month of this new year that God has blessed us with and begin once again to do things and to live your life God's way. If you do, You will be glad every day for the rest of your life and all throughout eternity that you chose to do it his way. You see, as a pastor, I have many conversations with people about many life issues. People who are experimenting with stuff that they have no business experimenting with. People living on the very fringe of sin playing around with their Christianity and their faith, people being involved in the wrong kinds of relationships, people justifying sinful actions, even though it's clearly called sin in the Bible, but you you just wanna put a blockade in your brain and pretend that what you're doing is okay, you're special for some reason, that, that it doesn't mean sin for you, but it means sin for everybody else. People living secret lives that only they know about, so far, It's only a matter of time, your secret's gonna get out of the bag and it's gonna be humiliation and it's gonna be embarrassment for you because sin will always find you out. Sin will always come out of the darkness into the light for everyone to see. And I'm just trying to tell you the best way that I know how to, if you walk on those slippery rocks long enough, you're gonna wind up in the drink and you may drown. And today is your chance, church, to turn things around. God is inviting you back to the moral high ground. He wants you back. He's saying, take my hand, come on back. Let's do things my way. You've done them your way for far too long and where's it gotten you? Because when you're walking on God's high moral ground, you have a clean conscience. You don't worry about the knock at the door. You don't worry about the phone ringing or or the wrong person showing up at your doorstep or the police showing up. That is no way for any human being to live. But listen, I can only fight so much for you, and the rest becomes your responsibility. I can't force you to do anything. All I can do is bring you truth and hope that you will respond to that truth. The final day is coming, and some of you are ready, and I am so thankful for that. You said, God, I'm going to stand before you on that final day, knowing that I made some horrible moral choices. I am guilty of that. But then you'll also be able to say, at one point in my life, I made a conscious decision. I took my whole pile of moral debt and I laid it down at the foot of a bloodstained cross. I accepted the offer of forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can offer me. And on that final day, God will say to you, Jesus Christ paid the price for all of your moral indebtedness. Amen. He'll say, you can come into my kingdom and live with me forever. You'll be like that newborn calf. Leaping and running around. I can't believe this, I don't deserve this, but I get this, Jesus paid the price for my ticket into this place. Ladies and gentlemen, a holy God is going to have His final say. And we're gonna stand before him guilty of sin. And either you're gonna pay for your own moral debts in eternity apart from God, or you are going to have Jesus Christ's gift of salvation that has been applied to your sin. It's one way or the other. There's no middle ground. It's an either or proposition. Please don't leave out these doors today without knowing that you've been forgiven of your sins by the Lord Jesus Christ, and to know that your moral debt has been paid for by Jesus, the son of the living God. Scott, would you please come forward here and help me close this down? This series from Malachi is a very honest one. And it draws our attention to these moral standards that God has established. And it naturally forces you and I to think, how am I doing when it comes to maintaining these standards on a personal level? And if I find that there is room for improvement, the beautiful part is you can simply go to the Lord, confess your shortcomings, But you can also ask for his help. Sometimes I think that's where we fall short. We'll confess it, but we don't get serious about allowing God's spirit to direct us in our path to avoid from going down those slippery slopes and and rocks again. See, it's one thing to identify a problem in your life, but it's completely another thing to, to commit to change. This is where God comes in. His spirit is what strengthens you to do his will in our lives. The Lord's prayer says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer makes clear that we live for the Lord here on earth, just like we will live for him one day in heaven, and there is a blessing for living for the Lord now. In fact, let me take you back to Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. He's talking about the one who is living their life for Jesus. Verse two says, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That's the one who concerns himself with with living according to the precepts and the standards of excellence that have been established in the word of God. And here's the result of doing so. In verse three, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's the immediate result, bearing fruit and not withering and prospering in the things that you put your hands to. There's also an eternal benefit and result, and that is spending eternity in the presence of Almighty God in heaven, where eye has not seen nor ear has heard what he has prepared for us. I implore you today, don't allow the temporal things of this world to cloud out the eternal things that God has prepared for those who serve him. And when you look at people who are without God and when on the surface, it seems like they don't have a problem in the world and they got more money than they know what to do with. They got more money than common sense. You gotta remember they don't because the only thing that matters is are you in a redemptive relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And for those who are not, unless they find Christ Jesus on that final day, it will all be for nothing. It will be what we would call a wasted life because they will spend eternity separated from God. Yesterday, we had our first men's ministry gathering under Saul Boone's leadership and his team. And I'm gonna gloat for a minute, ladies' ministry, women's ministry. We had 110 men show up. (laughs) Women's ministry runs circles around us. I mean, it's just pathetic, it really is. (laughs) They're like a well-oiled machine. It can be annoying sometimes, even. They're so, it's like constantly wanting stuff. Wanting, I'm joking, I'm joking. (laughs) There's a little truth to that. I've been waiting for somebody who would step up and say, I really want to do something with the men of this church, and Saul Boone did. He, he answered the call of God, and, and look at the results. We were changed yesterday with a sermon from Dr. Sam Huddleston about leaving something for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. And he wasn't talking about money, though it's nice if you can leave an inheritance to your kids, he was talking about a strong spiritual legacy. Setting an example by living our lives before our families for Christ Jesus and doing so in such a way that it makes an indelible impression upon their mind. They never forget that that's the way dad lived his life, that's the way grandpa lived his life, that's the way great grandpa lived his life. life. In other words, we don't want to walk on slippery rocks no more as men, but instead we want to build our lives upon the solid rock of Christ Jesus. Dr. Huddleston asked the men to come forward, and we worshiped God together surrounding this this stage. And yesterday was an incredible day for our church. As our men stood boldly and, and proudly, and said that they would would set an example, that they would be the men of God that God asked them to be. And I wanna ask our men who were here yesterday who attended that thing, I want you to come up and join me around the front again like you did yesterday, all of you, I don't care if you were at your seat or whatever, I want you to come up here. And if you weren't able to attend and you're a man, come up here. Now, will all of you stand to your feet? What I've spoken this morning is universal, not just for men. It's for women too. The slippery rock concept will be the end of you if you keep walking on it. It's only a matter of time. And there are all kinds of people here today and there are all kinds of people who are watching online who have been reminded that the way you're living is not what God requires of you. You need to confess your sin. You need to recommit your life to Jesus, your allegiance, your dedication to the Lord. Make him first in your life. Once again, maybe for the first time, maybe he was there once before, but he's taken a back seat to things of greater importance to you right now. And as I prayed about how I was going to end this service today, I was going to have an altar call, but I knew that there were people who needed to come to this altar that wouldn't come to this altar. But I don't want you to miss out on this moment because it's far too important of a moment in your life. And yes, even in the life of this church that we call High Point Assembly. I'm going to lead everyone in this place in a prayer. It's called a prayer of salvation. And if you pray and repeat these words with sincerity of heart, and you mean them, you will be saved. You will receive salvation. The reason I called the men up here because I wanted them to pray it along with me loud and strong. And I want you to hear what a, what a choir of men's voices can sound like when they repeat these words, but I don't want you to just hear them, I want you to repeat them yourself. If you are here today and you admit that you're living life on slippery rocks, or if you're here today and you're not in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, settle your heart, humble yourself, and repeat these words as though you mean them and that you desire Jesus more than anything in your life at this point in time, and you will receive salvation. When you do that, it doesn't end there. You don't just walk out and go, okay, I'm saved. Because when you get saved, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit of the living God indwells you at that point. And the Holy Spirit will help you in your journey, your Christian journey, to stand up against those temptations, to stand up against those things that you step on slippery rocks for. He will always remind you when you're about to embark on something that is wrong, that is sinful, it will come through loud and clear, and then becomes your part to listen to that voice and to respond to that voice accordingly. You don't just casually go out and sin and think nothing of it. You go, no, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for reminding me that is wrong, and I refuse to go down that path, and you have a victory. And pretty soon it's three victories, and it's 20 victories, and it's six months worth of victories, and it's a year worth of victories. And all of a sudden, that thing, whatever it is, that has kept you in bondage for so long, you're freed of. And you go, I'm not sure how I got here. But thank you, Jesus. And you know what? I told you what the little calf would be like in heaven. You can even go, whoa, I can't believe I'm over this here. You can jump and and, and shout and you can thank God because that that thorn in your side that you've been carrying your entire life can be removed. And so now you experience freedom on this side. And then when you get to the other side, you're literally gonna be blown away. My guess is you're gonna gonna squeal. My brother used to say, I, I had a squeal of ghee. It felt so great, you know, whatever. So would you all bow your heads with me, please? I want you to repeat these words loud and strong. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. The one who gave his life for me. The one who gave his life for me. I realize today. I can't, live on slippery rocks anymore. I can't live on slippery rocks anymore. So I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for ignoring you. Become the Lord of my life. And fill me with your spirit. Help me to live in a way that honors you. Today I have become your child. And today, you are now my Lord. today you are now my Lord. And I will serve you. All the days of my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 Let's hear it. <clears throat> if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I want to welcome you into the family of God. Amen. You made the best decision you could ever make. And we as a church want to come alongside you, and we want to help you in your Christian journey. And, and I want to preface something. This isn't just for new believers. We have discipleship classes at this church with the intention of growing you in your knowledge of God's Word and how to live a victorious Christian life. Amen. And a lot of people go from praying the sinner's prayer and just kind of becoming a part, and you're not really growing. You're not, you're not getting any roots in what you're doing so we have classes that are every sunday morning the the uh, first steps class and 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 again don't let that kid you there are there are people who serve the lord for 20 years who need this first steps class because there's stuff you don't know there's stuff you've overlooked there's stuff you've forgotten about that you'll be reminded of and every sunday morning we have this class and it's 13 weeks you can go at any time And in 13 weeks, when you're done, we'll give you a study Bible to help you to continue to be in the word of God and you'll grow in your relationship with Christ. We have a class following that called Next Steps. We have a class that follows that. There is no reason why no one in this church should ever say, I've never been discipled. It is there for you, but you need to step up and say, I'd like to have this be a part of my life. So so if you're interested in knowing more about that, you can just show up next Sunday out in the modulars is where the classrooms are at nine o'clock we meet here at 10 that starts at nine so from nine to a little bit before 10 then you come into this service or you can call the church and and we can give you the information and and we can or you can email us and we can uh, have one of the leaders get in touch with you but I would just say show up <laughs> that's the best thing to do now Ralph's freaking out because there's gonna be like 98 people there and he's gonna go how am I gonna deal with that? <laughs> that'd be a good problem to have we would like you for you to come and, and join us Thank you for being here today. Thank you men for coming up. I love you guys and I'm so thankful for you. I am so excited to see what God is gonna do in our church through these guys right here. I think we all realized yesterday that we're a sleeping giant and we've been asleep too long. And we're gonna wake up and we're gonna start serving, we're gonna start using our gifts, our talents, our trades, the different things that God has blessed us with to help this body to grow, to help everyone in this body to to succeed. That's what our goal is as a church. So thank you for being here. Let's bow our heads and close this service in prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the truth of your word. It's something that happened in Old Testament times through a guy named Malachi could apply to us today in the 21st century. But that's the beauty of your word. It never changes and it applies no matter where you're living or what you're doing. God, I pray that as a church, as a people, we would raise that standard of moral excellence in our lives in every aspect. That there would be no area that would be beyond the reach of us living morally upright. That we would avoid those slippery rocks and that we would walk on the firm high ground that you've placed before us. And Father, as we leave this place today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us guiding and directing our steps, the things we do, the places we go, conversations that we have, that those conversations would be ones that are built, are meant to build people up and not tear them down, that we would shine the bright light of Jesus Christ into this dark world so much so that people will come to us and ask what's different about you and the door is open and we get an opportunity to share your goodness with them. I pray, Father, that between now and the time we gather together again, you would keep us safe. You would keep us safe from sickness and disease and illness. And you would help us, Father, not to fall into any accidents or things that would prevent us from joining together with our church family. I further ask, God, that this week, between now and the time we meet again, you will open the door for each one of us to share your goodness with another. And then, when that door opens up, Father, we would boldly walk through it and just share how good you've been that you're a good and a faithful father that they need in their life. So thank you for this time together, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for all that you do for us, for your faithfulness as always. As we leave here today, let us go in your love and let us make a difference in our world. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here.